You're listening to EHA Unplugged, Episode 4, The Phenomenon of Engraftment and Chimerism Following HCT. Welcome back to the fourth episode of EHA Unplugged. This is the podcast where you can listen to passionate experts in hematology talking freely about highlights in their field of expertise. Today's podcast speaker is transplant expert Professor Sean McCann. Well, Sean, the mic is yours. Hello, my name is Sean McCann. I'm a hematologist. I'm conducting this or making this short podcast on behalf of the European Hematology Association. I've been a hematopoietic cell transplanter for many years, and I'm going to discuss discuss the phenomenon of engraftment and chimerism following hemopoietic cell transplantation, or HCT for short. Initially, I want to just let you have a little bit of the historical perspective. When HCT started in the late 1940s, early 1950s, uh, usually using laboratory inbred animals, usually mice, they received a lethal dose of radiation and then hemopoietic cells from the litter made spleen or bone marrow. The spleen, by the way, in a mouse is a hemopoietic organ. Uh, Many skeptics, of course, did not believe that a true transplant had taken place. So in order to prove this, the analysis of the cytogenetics of the marrow was undertaken. Now in the laboratory setting, you can use a boy mouse into a girl mouse or a girl mouse into a boy mouse because boy mice have XY chromosomes and girl mice have XX chromosomes. So it's relatively simple to show that the transplant has been a true transplant and not what we would call autologous recovery. Now, when we transplant or when we transfer, I should say, to the human situation is slightly more complicated. Obviously in human HCT, in many cases, we transplant a boy into a boy or a girl into a girl. So the use of chromosomal analysis for XY or XX is obviously of a limited value. So we had to think of some other methods to prove that a transplant had taken place. HNA typing is of limited value because in most cases, HCT occurs between HNA identical donor and sibling. Blood group genotyping has been used by some investigator, but is cumbersome and can be confused by trans red cell transfusion. So it's not clinically used at the moment. A number of investigators came up with the use of what we call variable number tandem repeats or VNTRs. These were 40 to 60 bases of DNA, which as far as we know, has no functions. And when labeled with P32 and subjected to PCR can provide an accurate reflection of the percentage of donor and recipient cells. In 1990, 
we published a further development that is the use of short tandem repeats. And these were four to six bases, again, of, as far as we know, non-functioning DNA, which were highly polymorphic, that is different between recipient and donor. Again, when labeled with P32 and subject to PCR, these reflected a, an accurate analysis of the percentage of donor and recipient cells. An advantage is that small amounts of DNA can be taken from stained old blood films and subjected to this sort of analysis, which makes the analysis of large numbers of patients possible. Nowadays, this has been replaced by the use of fluorophores, which is predominantly used in clinical laboratories nowadays. One of the advantages of using STORs, of course, is that the analysis can be carried out on stained slides, which are sometimes many years old. So this means that you can carry out a retrospective analysis on large numbers of patients who have received a HCT. Now, as I've said, we can determine the origin of the cells in the recipient by any of these techniques. However, when we applied these techniques, we found something very surprising. In a number of cases, the relapsed leukemia, unfortunately, appeared to be in the donor cells and not in the recipient cells. And this was a complete surprise because we expected that if leukemia relapse occurred, it would occur, it would be a manifestation of the original leukemia and be in the recipient cells. So donor leukemia is probably a little bit more common than we thought. And it has important implications, of course, because if donor leukemia occurs, then it may be a microenvironmental problem in the recipient, which in turn causes leukemia in donor cells. In the majority of cases of relapse, these analyses are not carried out as relapse following HCT is unfortunately usually fatal. So detailed laboratory investigations are not carried out. But as I say, it may be that donor leukemia is slightly more common than we had thought and may have major implications for the etiology of leukemia. Now, the other phenomenon which solid tumor transplanters worry about, for example, kidney transplants, is the phenomenon of graft rejection. Happily, graft rejection is extremely uncommon in patients transplanted for leukemia, although it is significantly more common in patients who receive transplants for severe aplastic anemia. When we look in detail at recipients of HCT for either leukemia or for aplastic anemia, we find three outcomes. We find that the cells in the recipient may all be of donor, known as donor chimera. We may have a mixture of cells from the donor and the recipient known as a stable mixed chimera. This is the ideal situation in aplastic anemia as 
it results in a lower level of graft-versus-host disease. Unfortunately, we don't really know how to establish a stable mixed chimera. And then if we see rising mixed chimerism, that is an increasing number of cells from the recipient over time, then unfortunately, this often predicts leukemia or aplastic anemia relapse. When monitoring patients who have had a HCT for leukemia, then if we see a rising number of recipient cells, we should carry out an analysis for the presence of MRD or minimal or measurable residual disease, as this may herald a frank relapse of the original leukemia. In severe aplastic anemia, the situation is slightly different. Many recipients will be receiving immunosuppression with cyclosporin or other agents for up to one year following HCT. It is advisable to carry out analysis for chimerism before withholding or stopping cyclosporin as a rising number of recipient cells may herald severe aplastic anemia relapse and may warrant continuation of the cyclosporin for some time. A number of investigators have fractionated the cells in the recipient and purified the T cells. This is known as T cell chimerism. If we establish that the T cell chimerism is, from, is fully from the donor, then this does herald severe acute graft-versus-host disease. Although this technique is well-established in research laboratories, it is not generally carried out in the clinical situation. Now, what is the future going to hold? Well, as we all know, nobody can predict the future, but it seems probable that, like everything else in the world, digital PCR may replace other methods. Um, but that time will tell whether it's useful in the clinical setting. So in summary, chimerism analysis is very important to prove that a transplant has taken place. Strangely, we may detect donor leukemia in the recipient, which is a surprise. T-cell chimerism may be an adjunct to the analysis and may herald acute graft versus host disease. And in the future, digital PCR may be the investigation of choice in the clinical setting. So I hope these few words about engraftment and chimerism will help to clear some muddy waters and the best of luck in all of your results in HCT. Goodbye. That was Professor Sean McCann for Episode 4 of EHA Unplugged. For other topics, we highly recommend the rest of this podcast series. For now, thank you for listening. And hey, if you're passionate about haematology yourself, why not contact us and start your own podcast episode? You can reach us via education at ehaweb.org. Goodbye.